Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. Um, I, I have a confession to make as we get started, and that is that I'm a little undone this morning. I started off a, a, a little bit over a week ago, you know, as I've been kind of meditating on what, what we wanted to share about today. We're, we're going to be continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the good news of God's kingdom. And I, I sat down at my computer, I have my Bible open, and I'm starting to formulate notes, and I'm starting to put together a sermon. I'm, I'm hearing sort of what the Lord is, is saying and, and just praying into and pressing into the text. And uh, that's usually the way that I'll, I'll start getting going. And to be honest, I had some really good notes set up. <laughs> And just about yesterday, I felt the Lord say that I needed to toss him to the side because he wants to say something different to us this morning. So my iPad full of notes is four miles away in Humboldt Park. I will not be able to go get it in the middle of this sermon. (laughs) And I felt the Lord just lay some specific things in light of what he wants to share with us this morning and something that God wants to do and bring a certain measure of freedom and life and what it means to know Jesus as Lord. And so I'm going to put my notes away, and we're going to read Matthew 11 together. Either I'm sorry or you're welcome. <laughs> but I want to be honest with you. Um, that we, I, just want to Im- I say that not to put a disclaimer on me, although you can take it that way. I want to say that in a way to say, just as, we, just as we've been pressing into worship, let's press in now. Let's have a heart that's open to the word. I will do the same thing as I'm going to just be the one talking more. But let's open our hearts together and let's be expectant for God to speak to us because his word is living and active and it's the way he has definitely revealed himself to us. Okay? So before we get into Matthew 11, you can go ahead and start turning there or scrolling there on your phone. I'm a little, I have to confess that sometimes when I read Jesus' words in the gospel, and you guys can tell me if this happens to you sometimes, I read Jesus' words and they really kind of hit me awkwardly sometimes. But especially, and and not, not that they end up that way, it's just that I just, I realize like, wow, that's kind of jarring what Jesus just said. Does that ever happen to you when you read the gospels? Okay, good. All right, good. Not just the preacher. <laughs> and I think the time that that most happens for me is when Jesus is answering a question that's been put to him. Jesus has some great questions put to him. And he has all sorts of questions put to him in the Gospels. And sometimes the questions are, are faith-filled questions. They're, they're questions that are, that are to him because he is Lord. Other times the questions are from people who are Jesus' enemies, m- most likely the religious leaders of the day. Uh, and they're asking a question to potentially entrap Jesus. And, and Jesus always navigates the questions in a way that's honoring to his Father because that's who he's submitted to, in a way that's honoring to his father because he's anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. But I have to be honest, sometimes Jesus' words at first glance make me a little bit itchy sometimes when he answers a question. And Matthew 11 is initially, for me, one of those points. It's one of those points. 
questions are, questions are big things, but a lot goes into a question to determine the importance and the severity of why and how and just what's the substance of why this question is being asked. I'll give you an example. If you run into me out in the hallway later, which I hope you do, and you say, you say the words, what's going on? You have a certain meaning. We have a certain relationship. There's a certain context. And you said three words, what's going on? That's a question. And because of the context, because of our relationship, I'm going to know how to answer that question. Because all of that goes into informing the context of the question. Does that make sense? If you said those same three words to me, if you met me in the hallway with my head in my hands and I'm sobbing around a corner and you say the words, what's going on? Well, it's the same words. It's the same question, but it's a vastly different context. Our relationship is contextualizing that question in a different way. My circumstances are contextualizing that question in a certain way. Same words, same question, similar relationship, but really a different question. Does that make sense? I say all that because Jesus is going to get a question from Matthew 11, and he's going to get a question from a dear, someone who's dear to his heart. And that man is John the Baptist. And it's not even from John the Baptist. It's from John the Baptist's disciples. Because John the Baptist himself, at this point in his life, is locked up in prison while Jesus is ministering in Galilee. So there's important factors at play anytime we get a question. But to, 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 really, to really put Matthew 11 in context and this question that Jesus is going to receive, let's just remind ourselves a little bit of where we are in Jesus' ministry. As we've been seeing the last couple of weeks in our series, uh, The Good News of God's Kingdom, we've seen in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 as Jesus begins his ministry, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Beatitudes, and he's, he's beginning to share with the people in the Judean countryside about what it means to have a blessedness and, and a righteousness that goes beyond what can typically and generally be attained by dry adherence to religious law. He's beginning to, to explore that, reveal it, and preach it to the people. Because all they'd ever known was what I had just said, dry adherence to religious law. And Jesus is beginning to blow that up and say, actually, you need a righteousness that far surpasses that. And he's preaching that to the people. And the people's response is, this teaching is hard, but it comes with such authority. Jesus is moving in such authority. And as we move into Matthew 8 and 9, we see that Jesus is doing miracles and healings. He's he's healing people physically. He's raising the dead. He's calming the storm. He's expelling demons. He is operating in the authority given to him by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And people are amazed. And people are following him everywhere and in Matthew 10 Jesus calls all of his disciples together and it says this amazing verse he gave them the authority to do what he's been doing and he begins to teach them about how to go about operating in that what to expect to expect belief to also expect unbelief and there's an interesting undertone of what's going on in Jesus's ministry And that is that people are following and attracted to the miracles, but not everyone is believing and repenting because that's hard. That's hard. And honestly, 
that's not really the messianic flavor that everybody was really looking for. If I'm, if, I'm in, if I'm in ancient Judea at this time, I'm looking for a Messiah who's ready to take up the sword because Rome has conquered us and is possessing us and is taxing us and is a burden on us and my existence and my people are oppressed and I'm quite frankly ready for someone to ra- raise us up and overthrow all that. That's what a Messiah looks like to me if I'm in that time. And Jesus, while he teaches with such an authority... He's also bringing the Father's revelation of what righteousness is. And it involves repentance. And it involves belief. And it involves submission to him as Lord. That's where we arrive at Matthew chapter 11. So can we jump in here and let's, let's, let's look at this question that Jesus receives. I don't know where I am in my notes. I'm kidding. I know. Let's read together. Starting verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, we know that's what he was, he was just finishing doing, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, we know a few, from a few verses later that this is John the Baptist, when John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I don't, I kind of like the answer to that question. (laughs) But there's something jarring about the way Jesus answers that, isn't it? Isn't there? And here's what I mean. Because the way Jesus has been answering questions up to this point, questions like, Lord, uh, my servant is ill, and I know that with a word you can, go. It's healed. It's done. Yes, I'm willing. Yes, I'm able. Yes, you're healed. Yes, Demon, driven out. Yes, yes. And Jesus says to John the Baptist's disciples, uh, go back and let them know what you see. Can you imagine being John's disciples at that, at that moment? Let's just enter into that for a second. And you're kind of like, okay. Awesome. The next verse even says, as John's disciples were leaving. <laughs> Got it. Out of here. There's a tension here. And there's a tension because I think John the Baptist is asking two questions. He's asking two questions. One is a very surface question. And it's the, it's the verbal level question here. And that question is, Jesus, what about you? What about you? Are you the Messiah? Okay. And Jesus answers that question. He answers it very clearly. But isn't John asking another question here? Don't you think he's not just asking Jesus, what about you? I think he's asking Jesus, what about me? Jesus, what about me? John is in prison. He's in prison. And the prison that he was locked up in just east of the Dead Sea is a terrible, terrible prison. I don't know that any prisons were awesome, but it was a terror. It had a reputation of being a terrible prison. 
And this question coming from John that says, Jesus, what about me? I think is the real question. Because I think John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So how do we arrive at that conclusion? Well, let's remind ourselves a little bit about John the Baptist's life. And I want to dive into this a little bit because I think this speaks to a question that you and I ask of Jesus too. And I don't think it's the surface question that John asks. I think you and I can ask that question and it would be a surface question. Are you the Messiah? I think most of us would say, well, yes, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Awesome. Skip to the next passage. That's not what's happening. I think you and I also ask the question, what about me? What about me? And we're going to see Jesus' answer soon. So who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist's parents were named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah was a temple priest. He was from the tribe of Levi. He served in the, the temple. And he did that. The Bible says that they were blameless. They were faithful. They honored the Lord. And one day, as was the Jewish custom, it was Zechariah's turn to actually go into the temple and offer an offering of incense unto the Lord. They would cast lots. And the lot would fall to someone and he would do it. And it was Zechariah's time. So he goes in to offer this offering to the Lord. And in the midst of doing that, the angel of the Lord appears to him. And, and tells Zechariah something amazing. Because Zechariah was old. And Elizabeth was old. And Elizabeth was barren. And the angel says, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah, no one else is around. It's just him. He says, how can I know this is true? How can I know it's true? As if, you know, the angel right there wasn't a little bit of evidence. How can I know this is true? And the angel of the Lord says, I'm Gabriel. I've come from the Lord to give you this message. It's going to happen, but because you haven't believed, I'm going to make you mute until your son is born. And by the way, this son will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, and he will go forth and prepare the way for the coming Lord. He will turn the hearts of Israel back to God and make preparation, make the way straight for the coming of the Lord. That is the function of what your son is going to do. That's who he's going to be. So Zechariah goes out from the temple. He can't speak. <laughs> and everybody quickly realizes he's seen a vision. And he has to communicate in writing to, to people, and, and, and soon it comes to pass that Elizabeth, his wife, has, she's conceived. And she's overjoyed at the Lord and blessed. And she says, the Lord has heard my cry. I'm no longer ashamed around my people. I'm going to have a son. And can you imagine the joy of what it means for this couple to have this, this son coming? Both the physical reality of it and the spiritual inheritance already promised of the Lord. So much so that six months later is when the, the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to bear Jesus. John the Baptist is, is, is foretold in, in Luke 1, in Luke 2. We, hear that we read the story of Jesus in Luke 3. We're going to hear a little more about John the Baptist. We're not going to read all that, but we're, you're getting the, um, the uh, JRNV, the James right now version. So John the Baptist is inside his mom, they, she, she's, she's conceived, and Mary, who has heard from the Lord, comes to visit Elizabeth, who is her cousin, and in the moment, the, the, the babies are not even born, and in that moment, Luke, Luke 1 says, the baby in Elizabeth jumped when Mary came near. Why? 
because there was such inheritance already. And the two women just rejoice. And it comes to pass that John is born, and it says he grew up, he grew up in the spirit of the Lord, he grew up blameless as his parents, and the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist, and he went to the wilderness and began to proclaim in the countryside, prepare the way of the Lord. And he was baptizing people, and he was drawing attention to the fact that God is calling his people to repentance. He was massaging hearts, preparing the way, as the prophecy said, mountains brought low, valleys brought up, preparing the way for the Lord. That's the function of what John the Baptist was operating in. And we know that Jesus came to John in the countryside when John was baptizing in the Jordan. And John the Baptist who had said to the people already when they would ask him, why do you baptize? Why do you baptize? And he says, I baptize with water, but somebody's coming who will baptize with fire. And not really un- I'm not really worthy to untie his shoes. So don't worry about me. And then that man, Jesus, comes. And we know from the Gospel of John that John the Baptist looks at him and declares unashamedly, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine that moment for John? Just for a second in light of who he is, in light of what God called him to before his conception, to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus says, baptize me. And John says, you gotta be kidding. And Jesus insists, and John does. And as Jesus has been baptized and exits out of the, out of the Jordan, John sees the Spirit of God come upon Jesus And rest on him like a dove. And he hears the voice of the father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and I love him. John the Baptist had seen, known, and experienced all of that. So why does John the Baptist, what does it mean for that man? to send his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? He's not asking about Jesus. He's not. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah in every way. He's asking about himself. He's asking about himself. I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying that's what he's asking. He's not saying, Jesus, what about you? He's saying, Jesus, what about me? That's the real question. That's the real question. And yes, Jesus gives an answer. And he gives, honestly, a very messianic answer that kind, of, that kind of lets John know right away a quick reminder that he is the Messiah. Because when Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised, he's quoting directly from Isaiah 35 and 61. Good news is preached to the poor. These are happening. John knows these things. John knows them, but he's still asking the question of Jesus. So I want to look at, if we know now what John is really saying, then I think we can look at what Jesus is really answering. Because I think Jesus answers the real question, too, of what about you, John? And what about us? Because I think the what about me, Jesus, question is a question you and I ask, too. It's a question you and I ask. And I just trust today, and I want you guys to to bear with me. I trust that the Lord has something that he wants to impart and a work that he wants to do in our hearts today that revolves around that question. What about me, Jesus? 
what about me? Is that okay? I know it's warm. My face gets flushed, and you, I, know, it, I know it's warm, but hang with me. So let's look at what Jesus says. Will you pick it up with me in verse 7? As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Jesus is he's now turning to the crowd. He's going to talk about John the Baptist. And Jesus says, what, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, and Jesus quotes Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone, listen to this, greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Another one of those itchy statements. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Now, I'm not a fan of, in a sermon, having to say, that's a bad translation. And what it actually should say is, but that's a bad translation. A better translation is that from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been forcibly advancing and forceful men have taken a hold of it. There's a, there's a movement of the kingdom of God that is sparked by the existence of John the Baptist, of that man, because we know what God intended upon his life. And Jesus acknowledges it and calls it out and says, it's moving now. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, let's say, has been forcefully advancing and Forceful men have taken hold of it. For all of the prophets and all of the law prophesied, listen to the statement, until John. What a position. And if you're willing to accept it, Jesus says, he is the Elijah, the prophesied, prepare the way of the Lord, deliverer who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, Jesus is making the crowd aware and John's disciples, who I believe are still there. I don't know that you can, as John's disciples were leaving and then start to hear Jesus say this and still keep walking away. I think they're listening. And Jesus is saying several things here. Firstly, Jesus is aware of John the Baptist's circumstances. He's not, he knows he's in prison. Why is John in prison? Because John called out and rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, who was the ruler over Galilee at that time, for doing something he shouldn't have done. And that is, he took his brother's wife, divorced his, grabbed her, and married her, and, and John the Baptist called him out. Herod didn't like that. You're in prison. Jesus knows John the Baptist's circumstances. And with Jesus' words here, he's showing two other things that he knows about John the Baptist. Firstly, he knows John the Baptist's significance. And he is significant. How can Jesus say, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist? Wow. What a statement. Jesus is saying, this man about whom we're speaking is a significant man. 
He knows, knows John's circumstances. He knows John's significance. He also knows the calling that is on John's life. And if you are willing to accept it, Jesus says in verse 14, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Amazing statements. Jesus is saying, I, I know this man's circumstances. I'm aware of his significance. I, I know about his calling. I'm intimately related to it. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, my kingdom is forcefully advancing. And yet John, John's still in prison. His circumstances aren't changing. And I have to think that there's a wrestling going on within John that says, I get the kingdom is forcefully advancing. And I get that it's here. And I get the kingdom of God has arrived. And I also see that not yet. (laughs) Now, not yet. I planned those bells, by the way. Because wouldn't it be just better? Wouldn't it just be better? Can't think of a better word than better. For if Jesus had just said to John's disciples, you know what, I hear you, his cell is already open. Just go back and let him know. Just give the door a little nudge. That's a comfortable answer for me to this whole situation. And you're just like, that's my Lord. He just, zing, I don't even know how many miles away that is. And he just opened that door. Boom. Spirit fall down and yeah. And Jesus just doesn't go there. He just doesn't. So what is Jesus saying? I'm aware of John's circumstances. I'm aware of his significance. I'm aware of his calling. And, I'm a, and I want you guys to be aware that my kingdom is forcefully advancing. And then he goes on to say something else. I want to pick it up in verse 25 because we're starting to get to the point where Jesus is bringing this from an answer to John the Baptist's questions. What about you, Jesus? What about me? And he's bringing this down to a question that all of us are asking, that what about me? He says in verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And listen to, to this next verse, verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those, those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In the midst of all of this, of knowing John's circumstances, knowing his significance, knowing his calling, knowing that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, Jesus says, just know that I am the central focal point, the locus of all of God's revelation. I am right here. Everything that God has ever intended to reveal about himself, the fullness of his character, the fullness of his personhood, the fullness of his ways, his fatherhood, his love, on and on and on and on and on and on, is present right here. And I'm aware. And I'm aware. And I, I have to tell you, I, at, this, at this point for me, I am hungry for the answer to the question of what about me? <laughs> because honestly, Can we just admit that some of this seems a little bit rough from Jesus? You agree? Because remember the more comfortable answer of like, yeah, the cell is open. That's not what we're getting. 
We're getting, I'm aware of these things, and John's great, and I know he's in prison, and my kingdom's forcefully advancing, and thank you, Father, that you've hidden, you've hidden these things from wise and learned men. You've revealed it to children. I am the focal point of your revelation, and I'm going, Jesus, this seems a bit rough. And then what does he say? In the midst of now, not yet, advancing kingdom, struggle amongst circumstance, significance, and calling. Jesus says, he says, come to me, all you who are weary. And weren't they weary? Wasn't John weary? Weren't the people weary? The Greek word here speaks to a weariness that comes from striving. It comes from toiling. It comes from never, ever, ever ceasing to move and go after something. It's the weariness that comes from that. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And the Greek word here speaks to a a burden placed on. It's not a willful burden. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We've heard it preached several times in this series about what it means to have that yoke. That there is a physical picture of the yoke, but the yoke is also a rabbi's interpretation of the revelation of the Father. That was the yoke of a rabbi. So a rabbi would say to his followers, take on my yoke. This is how I interpret well, what yoke do you want to take on except the one from who's got the, who is the fullness of the revelation of the Father? And Jesus, as a carpenter, must have made thousands of yokes in his day and knows how they should fit. And he can turn to these people and say, take on my revelation, my yoke. Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. You know Why? You know why? Because John, people listening, church in the city, the yoke of your circumstances, you can't bear. It's unbearable and it's wearisome. And the yoke of your significance and striving for that and contending for that, you can't bear. You can't bear. And nobody could be more significant than John the Baptist and he can't bear that significance. And the yoke of your calling Good things spoken over you, promised to you. You contend for them. They are true things, but they are not where you find your rest. Because honestly, Jesus speaks, he does speak roughly here for a moment. And he lays everything out. And he says, I know this man's circumstances. He's the most significant. He is called to be preparing the way of the Lord. I'm aware of all of those things. And Jesus has the prerogative to say, I'm not mad, I'm just, you know. Jesus has the prerogative to say, deal with it all. I'm the Lord. Doesn't he? He can. But he doesn't. He says, come. He says, come, I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And these things will not provide you with rest. And I just have a sense today that we 
myself included, have some of us been looking for our rest and looking for our release and our freedom in good things but not the thing? Because your calling and what you believe God has spoken over your life and what others have revealed, and these are good things, and you've wrestled with them, and you've taken them before the Lord. And I also know that in the deep depths of your heart that you wrestle with it coming to pass. And some of you may be in circumstances that make you pray like this before the Lord. Hello? To join with men like David and Moses who have had to cry out to the Lord like that. And some of, you may, some of you may wrestle in the deep depths of your heart with your own significance in the kingdom of God. And you see that it's forcefully advancing. And you're amazed at all the Lord is doing. And you feel on the sidelines. And the Savior of the world says, don't toil for those topics. Come to me. And I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. You see, I ultimately just revel and feel such freedom in Jesus' true answer to John's real question. What about me? What about you? You come to me. You come to me. And all of a sudden, significance and calling and circumstances start to take their place at the feet of the one who can actually give us rest for our souls. In a moment, we're going to take communion. But just before we do... I, I just, I, I, I mentioned I'm at a little bit of a loss, so just bear, bear with me for a moment, because I just feel the Lord is, is doing a work and wants to freshly reveal this to our hearts. You know? Gavin, I feel like the Lord would freshly reveal this to your heart. That he celebrates you. He celebrates you. And that his delight is in you. And that he gives you rest. And that he has so much for you. And, but what he has mostly for you is relationship with him. And just to rest in that. And hear me, I'm, this is, and, and Levy, the same. And Steve Marshall, you've been on my heart. I just feel like the Lord has said, I'm your rest. I'm your rest. I'm your rest. This isn't rebuke. This is, this is the Lord saying, I'm your rest. I want to invite uh, Debs and Vanessa to come up and anybody else from the team who wants to play because I, I just want us to do this taking communion not because it's the last Sunday of the month in case you've picked up that pattern but because this is an opportunity for us to say to the Lord afresh I am coming to you Jesus I'm telling you right now as the preacher who is preaching I don't know the practical application step after that sorry <laughs> I know what the Lord says. And the Lord says, come to me, rest in my lordship, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Lord, I just... We're just so... I'm just so thankful, Lord, for your response to John. I pray, Lord, even right now, amongst this room, Lord where hearts are holding and hearts are struggling with deep things, with, this, with significance and calling and, and, and circumstance and other things, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, just for scales to fall away right now 
in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for a fresh revelation straight into the depths of hearts, God. That all, that as the Apostle Paul writes, all would be considered a loss. That everything would be able to be laid down for the surpassing glory of just knowing you, Jesus. And I pray right now, in Jesus' name, Spirit, just bring rest upon this room. Rest upon hearts where there has been striving and toiling and figuring out and solving. In the name of Jesus, just cease. Just be at rest because he's your Lord. Come to him. Holy Spirit, would you just woo right now in the name of Jesus? Where hearts, uh, hearts have been gripped with a tense grip perhaps for years, perhaps for decades Lord would you just melt that now in the name of Jesus just bring a release and a freedom and a peace that just is before you that just is open before you that that knows you are not unaware of any aspect of any facet of our being and you just say come you in your own time and in the and in the spirit of coming to Jesus to just stand in your own time to come to a table on either side of me take a piece of bread take take the cup and go back to your seat and we'll take it together in, in just a moment just do it in that spirit of come to him lay everything else down come to him and he will give you rest just in your own time I want to invite you to come up again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.